Good morning. Thanks for joining us at 10 a.m. Um, hopefully it was not too much of a traffic jam out there getting in. Uh, we're going to learn a lot in the next month and see what changes need to be made, but um, so far so good. Uh, we're going to go through Church Around the Table. That's the sermon series we're in. If you want to grab a Bible and turn to the book of Acts, we'll be grabbing some uh, scriptures out of there to chew on, to think on, um, to set the tone for where we're going with this. And uh, yeah, I want to thank everyone that volunteered to help us out with, that, with our three-service stretch. We've had a, a lot of people step up in, ho- in hospitality and in the children's ministry and different things like that, and I'm very, very thankful. I know it's a lot to ask to maybe come to a service and then also serve in a different service, but um, we're thankful for the ones that have, and if you are able, um, there's always some more spots that, that we'd love to fill. And if everybody does a little bit, then, you know, it's not too heavy for anybody, so... Um, you can think about that. And there's a little info table out in the back that you can let people know if you are able. That would be great. Happy Rosh Hashanah to everybody. Yeah? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if God really has much respect for our man-made calendars, but if he was going to respect one of them, it would probably be the Jews. Uh, so Happy New Year to everyone. That's what Rosh Hashanah is. And uh, yeah, there's a bit of a new beginning for us um, with the three services. And, and just all that's going on, fall, all of that. And special heads up to the balcony people. What's up? Yeah. How's it going? Wow, they are happy up there. I expect you guys to be like, I don't know, man, don't talk to us. We're trying to hide back here. But I think every one of them waved, which was pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right. Well, um, we've been going through church around a table. Um, we've been trying to define what the church is. Um, there's a lot of different thoughts, whether the church is good or bad, and, and what the church is is based on people's definition of that word, and we've tried to help us understand. Ba- basically, in the book of Ephesians, Paul's laying out what he thinks the church is, and he was saying it at a time when the church looked nothing like it does today. It was very, very fledgling movement that was basically about to be snuffed out by Roman persecution. Um, there was just not much to it, but he was talking about it as being this body and this bride and this family that's going to fill all of the, the world and every place with the fullness of who God is, you know, and everyone would laugh at him um, for the most part. But sure enough, here we are a couple thousand years later, and the church is, is, is a powerful entity. And, and the church, what we also try to define is, is defined as an organization and an organism, the organization of the church is like living streams or whatever church you grew up in. It's, it's an it's a organization um, that is supposed to be a good house, a fruitful environment for the organism, which is the church, which is you and I, the people that Jesus died for, the people who are following Jesus, the people filled with his spirit. Um, living streams is just an organization that will come and go as the sands and winds of time change happen, but the organism will continue to go on. And so my, my job is I, I'm, I, I'm a leader of an organization. And what I try and do is make sure this place is a really good house for the organism of the church. So we've spent some time defining that. You can go back and look at some of those things. Um, and the, the organization has had good seasons and bad seasons, no doubt about it. But the organism has continued to grow into this beautiful thing that is the fullness of God in every part of this world. And it is the single most dominant force for good the world has ever seen. No doubt about it. Um, any, any true historian would say that it's just amazing what this people 
have done in this world. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So that's church. We're trying to get this concept around a table to help us understand that church is not something that happens for an hour on Sunday mornings. A church can happen there, but, but basically what Christians are supposed to do happens outside of these walls and outside of this Sunday morning context for the most part. This is just supposed to help us, you know, encourage us, teach us, equip us so that we can go be the church outside. So that's where we're trying to get people's minds to think about your own home or when you're having a little lunch break at work. Uh, church can happen around the table, and we've talked through different things. For me, one of my first real powerful church's experience was around food stamps with a friend of mine that was just loving on me and caring for me, but he was living on food stamps. And we talk about church happening in a 15-passenger van. For Jesus and Peter, church first happened when it, Peter had a boat, and Jesus came and hung out in his boat for a day, and Peter left feeling really dirty. And Jesus was like, don't worry about it, I'll take care of that. And then later on, we've been spending the last two weeks really talking about church, the church that was happening around the table at the Last Supper. You with me there? So we looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account. Um, those are the, the three of the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they really focused in that moment where Jesus was having his last meal with his disciples when he was kind of trying to give them that, that final message that final teaching that would just stick in their minds, what he says to them is, is, I'm giving you my body and blood. And he hadn't gone to the cross yet, so they were thinking in that moment about all the times that Jesus had cared for them and served them and saved them and healed them in the last three years of walking with him. That Jesus, who they have now realized is a lot more than just a man, He's their teacher, he's their rabbi, he's their Lord and Savior, has actually served them and given of himself for three years. And he's saying, you guys know, this is my body and this is my blood. I'm giving it for you. I have given it for you. And he was also alluding to this moment where the next day he was going to physically actually offer his body and his blood as a sacrifice for their sin and the rest of the world. And so when they, when they finally remembered that moment of Jesus' teaching around the table, and then they knew of the crucifixion, I mean, the, the message was so powerful in their lives that they completely devoted the rest of their lives to that, even to the point of being martyrs for that cause. And really what Jesus was trying to teach them was, just as I have given body and blood for you, I want you to now go and give body and blood for others. It's a heavy thing. So church is not a picnic. Church is not a little club. Church is not a, it's not easy. It's the hardest thing you will ever do if you really want to follow Christ because the covenant he made with those disciples is just as I have given body and blood for you, I want you to now go and give your body and blood for others. It's intense. It's heavy. And another way to put it is just as I have loved you, I want you to go and love others. Very, very, very high, hard calling. And we talked about last week how he empowers with his, with his spirit to do that. But then we also, the next week, looked at John and how John also talks about the Last Supper, that church around the table moment, but he never mentions the body and blood. Not to contradict them, but he wants to focus on a different thing. Because he said when they first walked into that room, Jesus shocked them by taking off his outer clothes, wrapping a towel around him, getting the basin that was there by the door, and he started to wash his disciples' feet, which is something that a lowly servant was supposed to do. And he washes their feet, 
And he does this very cleansing, very kind, very humble way of caring for them. And it was so important to John that, that 70, 60 years after Jesus rose from the dead, he writes that as his account of the final message of Christ. And Jesus, after he did that, he said, now I want you guys to go and do what as I have done unto you. And so we talked about another way that church is supposed to be going on is when we go into this world to seek to cleanse the world, to seek to wash the world, refresh the world instead of condemn the world. That's the call of what church around the table is supposed to be, giving body and blood and seeking to cleanse and wash and, and renew people around us. That, that's, that's, that's what church is. That's, church happens when we do those things, no matter where you are in this world, no matter what frame of mind you're in, whatever. But there's another way, actually, before we get to the second way, I, I want to just illustrate how this happened after Jesus left. So Jesus sends this message, he establishes these things, and then we have the book of Acts, where now Jesus is gone. And, and so now the followers of Jesus who have made this covenant with Jesus are now practicing this. And we see in Acts 2.42, uh, we'll pop it up on the screen in the message, it says this. It says, that day about 3,000 took him at his word, were baptized, and signed up. <laughs> they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All of those wonders and signs done through the, prof through the apostles. And all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw, and every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. So this is now Jesus' teaching imparted to his, his people. Jesus is now gone. And this is an account of what took place just a few months later. They were now practicing the way of Jesus. Those who learned this lesson, those who were imparted this lesson, those who got to watch Jesus do it for three years and then it all culminate on the cross, they now started to walk. And I love these people. I love Jesus for sure. But I love these people because they were doing it without Jesus. They're in person. Now he was there with the Holy Spirit. But they weren't doing it. They were doing it. These people were like you and I. They don't have a clue what they're supposed to do, but, but they have some teachings from Jesus, and then they have the power of the Spirit. So I love looking at the book of Acts. It's like, okay, okay, I can get into this, but it's also challenging because they got to see some really cool things happen. But their practice was in the temple and house to house, and that's some of what we're trying to get into our minds, that, that it's good for us to gather together and to meet together, encourage one another, and celebrate what the Lord has done. But it's also important for us to think about Jesus showing up outside of this place, in our homes, in our workplaces, and things like that. Life groups as we started, those things. Another verse, Acts 5, 41 through 42. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They had just received a rebuke and a flogging from the Sanhedrin. But then day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, and then I want to go, so here's some accounts in the early book of Acts of what was taking place. The time frame is probably around 60 um, 
A.D., some of when this was going on. But then I wanted to borrow some Roman historians' words about the church. So we're going to go extra biblical here. This is not in the, in the, the library of Scripture. But these are some Roman historians that were writing around 100 A.D. and around 350 A.D. And, and they were describing these followers of Christ and what they were like. Now, they obviously don't think they're right. They're, they don't like them necessarily. So you're going to see, and there's, there is persecution, so there's some heavy things. But I want, I want you to just understand that these people were practicing this way in such a, a, a profound way that the Roman historians were taking note of it as well. So here's a, a guy, a Roman official named Pliny, writing to another Roman official named Trajan around 100 A.D., he says, meanwhile, in the case of those who were denounced to me as Christians, I have observed the following procedure. I interrogated these as whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second time and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. For I had no doubt that whatever the nature of their creed, the stubbornness and inflexible obstinacy surely deserved to be punished. There were others possessed of the same folly, but because they were Roman citizens, I signed an order for them to be transferred to Rome. And here's what they were guilty of, according to Pliny. They asserted, however, that some of their substance, some of, so, the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, adultery, nor false, uh, falsify their trust, nor refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. Even this, they affirmed, they had, to see, they had ceased to do after my edict, by which in accordance with their, your instructions I had forbidden public association, Accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. There's a lot to take in right there, no doubt about it. But here, around 100 AD, this Roman official was talking about this, these Christians and how they kept getting together before dawn, and which means you guys should all come to the earlier service, by the way. But, no, just kidding. They, they would get up before dawn, and they would sing some sort of hymn to this Jesus as if he was a god. And they would have this time together, and then they would continue it on from house to house. They would have this fellowship. They would care for one another. They would do all these things. And then you, 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 you've go further on, there's this Emperor Julian around 360 AD. He says this, atheism, which the Christians were considered atheists because they didn't believe in the polytheistic gods of the Romans and, Romans and the Greeks. So, that, so it's kind of weird, right? Like, so because they only worshipped one god, they were atheists because they didn't believe in all the gods. So atheism, um, Christian faith, has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, that's us, that's them, care not only for their own poor but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. So 300 years later, 
after Jesus is gone. This is the, the testimony of a Roman emperor writing about these Christians who had become a huge problem for, for them because they were doing things like rendering service to strangers and caring for the burial of the dead. They were caring for their own poor and also for the Romans' poor. They were giving body and blood. They were washing people's feet. Not just their own, but those of the ones around them. And what history teaches us is around 316 A.D. is, is when Constantine became emperor, and he, he basically took away the ban from being a Christian. It wasn't illegal to be Christian anymore. It was a big move. So what was illegal and what Paul talked about as being this beautiful thing, but it was just this fledgling, persecuted um, movement in the Roman Empire had, had now become something that the Roman Empire basically said, okay, what you're doing is actually so good, we can't deny the beauty of it, so it's no longer illegal. <laughs> And then this was in 360, and so there's a lot of debate about what to do with Christians. And in 390, Christianity became the, main, the religion of the Roman Empire. And Rome has a very different story from that point on. The power of this movement, the power of the people of God filled with the Spirit of God, giving body and blood, washing one actually caused the Roman Empire to completely be turned upside down. And that's the Roman Empire. We're just dealing with America. There's, there's just so much beauty and power if we can get this right. If we can be who Jesus has called us to be and wants to empower us to be. So that's what church happens. The second thing that I think we need to notice as we read these same scriptures and we think about church around a table is that it's true church happens when we give body and blood and when we wash one another and wash the people in this world. But church also happens when the life of Jesus shows up. So that Acts 2.42, remember that whole phrase, it talked about how they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. It says that they were caring for one another in a really beautiful way. And it says that all of these signs and wonders started showing up all over. It was just as if when Jesus was alive and Jesus would show up, healings would happen, um, uh, miracles would happen, wonders would happen. They just followed everywhere Jesus went because the life of Jesus was being manifest into the world. And now what was a shock and kind of something that, that the book of Acts writers marvel about is now G Jesus is not here in body, but the life of Jesus kept showing up in the same way. The manifest presence of God kept popping up. Bloop, 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 bloop. They're having a little time together. All of a sudden, somebody comes in that is sick or can't see or, or whatever, and next thing you know, they're leaving, and they, can, they feel better. They can see. The, the life of Jesus, those things kept popping up. And it was harkening, the disciples were harkening back, thinking about when Jesus first came on the scene. He had just been baptized by John the Baptist. 
He had just spent time in the wilderness, and now he's come back full of the Spirit and ready to, to do his ministry, and he starts out going into synagogues and reading a verse from Isaiah that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, proclaim recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and everyone's looking at him and Jesus says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And there's this big moment where Jesus is like, watch out, it's on. And sure enough, as he goes out from that place, some would reject him, some would come to him, and those who came to him with any kind of illness, they would be healed. The life of Jesus was showing up. The promise of Jesus followed by the life of Jesus. And then John the Baptist we talked about in Luke 7. He's, he's a, he's, he believes Jesus is the Messiah. He's all of that. But now he's in prison and he's about to lose his head. And just like any of us, he's like, hey, Jesus, I, I think one of those things you mentioned was like setting the captives free. <laughs> But I'm, right, I'm still here. So he sent some of his friends to go say, hey, Jesus, are you the, are you the one? Or is there another one who might set me free? Because I'm not free. I'm in this jail right here. And Jesus responded to him and said, tell John what you, what you have seen and heard. The blind are receiving sight. The lame are walking. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus said, John, look at the fruit that's on the tree and then tell me whether the tree is real or not. And what he was saying, that yes, this, this is it. And it was a hard thing for John to hear and process when it doesn't happen, to trust God in those moments. But Jesus is saying, you can judge the tree by the fruit. The life is showing up everywhere. The, the kingdom of heaven is breaking in to our world, and we're seeing the evidence of it all around. But what was so amazing is then Jesus, after he died and rose again, he's there with those same guys he had the Last Supper with, and in Mark 16, he says this to them. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, plug your ears if you don't want to have Jesus mess with your life. Okay? Real quick. Just, you can do it sneaky or whatever. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll drive out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. They'll drink deadly poison. It won't hurt them. And they'll place their hands on six people, and they will get well. So Jesus is saying, look, you've, I told you it would happen. It happened. John was wondering, I reminded him, it's happening, and now I'm going to go away, and guess what? It's going to keep happening, and the disciples are like, well, how's it going to happen if you're not here? And Jesus is like, those who believe in me, those who are following my way, those who continue to do the things that I taught you to do, as you do them, blue, 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 the life of Christ will show up the manifest presence of Jesus will show up. And when it does, things like this will happen.
Sick people get healed. You'll speak in new tongues. You'll cast demons out of people so they can be free. Something about snakes and poison or whatever. So here we are. We got to see Jesus promise that. We got to see it show up in the book of Acts. But this is 2019, Phoenix, Arizona. Where's the life of Jesus? And you and your relationship with God and your journey, maybe you're saying Jesus and all this is crazy stuff. Yeah, I totally understand how you could think that. And so you have a decision to make. Are you going to step into this family? Are you going to start to follow the way of Jesus hoping and believing that the life of Christ will show up. And you're sitting around a bunch of people who are saying, yeah, it shows up. It shows up. And then some of you are saying, hey, you know, I've been following Jesus for a while, but I, don't, I haven't seen a lot in my life. Maybe I've seen it in others, or I've heard people talk about it, but they're kind of crazy, so I don't know if they're telling the truth. So is it for me too? And the message is, yeah, it is. And then there's a lot of people in this room who if you really sat them down and asked them, has the life of Christ shown up? They would look you in the eyes and say, yes. And some would say lots of stories and some would maybe just tell you a couple. But church happens when the life of Jesus shows up. It follows the believers, no doubt about it. In Mark 16, Jesus said, now it's your turn to go and do these things. And the apostles experienced it. And for us at Living Streams here, you know, in, in this one small representation of the family, um, we, we've, we've been able to see the life of Jesus show up. I actually asked Pastor Kurt, who loves to pray for people to be healed, to start cataloging, you know, like they did in the book of Acts, just start you know, listen to them. This date, this time, this is what happened, and this is how we followed up to make sure they weren't just having a moment, but like a week later, a month later, we checked in, and sure enough, there it is. We had a guy, I just heard, that was, um, he, had a, he had a problem with his shoulder, and he had had surgery, and then he had done something and re-heard it, and he was so discouraged, so bummed out, and he was in one of our, our church services just a few weeks ago, and he was, he was singing, and he just was thinking about his shoulder and how much it hurt, and he felt like the Lord told him, lift your hands in worship. And so as he did it, he felt like all of a sudden his arm kind of got warm and got healed up. And then he was like, no, that can't be right. And then the pain has been gone for over three weeks now. I, I don't know. I don't know what that does for you or what that doesn't for you. Uh, we, and then Kurt, he started pouring out all these stories. I was like, holy moly, there's a lot of stories. But some of them are hard to verify. And then some of them a month later are like, I don't know why, but the pain's back. I don't know what to do with all those things. But what I can do is I can offer to you as one person, just like the, the gospel writers did. They said, basically, I want to offer to you my account of what Jesus has done and how his life has shown up to me. And specifically in a few of these ways. We'll see how much time we have to get into all of them. But first of all, when I was about 14 years old, I didn't know any of this stuff. I didn't really care about all this stuff. I just wanted to play basketball. And I was up at this retreat with some friends. Actually, Kurt was one of the guys that was leading the retreat. And I was just there because there were some friends and there was a gym. And then you could play basketball. 
And so I was there, and I remember at one point they were having this time, and, and I didn't understand what was going on. I just knew at one point one of my friends was saying yes to one of the things that the pastor was saying about, about being like baptized in the Spirit of, of God. And again, I was not paying attention. I, I didn't know what was going on. I just knew at one point there was a circle of everybody when they were kind of all putting his, their hands on him in the middle, and they were praying for him. And just because I was his friend, I thought, okay, I should probably do something. And I, and I like was putting my hand on them, and then I was, all I could think about was my hand. I was just like, this is weird. Does that person think I'm weird? Am I doing, is this weird? I don't know this person that well, like I, but I can't reach the guy. All I was thinking about was my hand. That was the full extent of what was happening for me in my 14-year-old brain. But then I remember he, that I could hear people started speaking in tongues, and I didn't that was, I didn't know anything. I didn't know they were speaking tongues. They weren't speaking English. They were, and I just thought, okay, people do that, maybe. And then I, I'm not joking. And I mean, I have no reason to make this up. But then as this 14-year-old, just kind of in this very weak moment of, of trying to love on my friend and say, hey, yeah, I care about him. I just, I started to speak in tongues just a little bit. I just, I just started to speak in a language that wasn't familiar with me, and it was short, it wasn't long, and, and I went right back to being just as self-centered and the crappy as teenager as I could be. No doubt about it. And I didn't, and again, I had no framework for it all. I just thought, well, that was weird. Was I just like mimicking them? Or, but it just, that was it. I didn't even, th- I literally did not think about it again until I was 18 years old, and I was in this little Bible study school, and they were teaching on baptism of the Holy Spirit, They were teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, and they were talking from the Scriptures about this thing called tongues. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. And it was funny because at that point, you're going to crack up, but at that point, I started trying to figure out if tongues was right or or wrong. I started trying to figure out if it was a good thing or a bad thing. but I, but I had a problem because I didn't know anything and it happened. And the only thing I could think was just that God in his mercy was basically just kind of pouring out his spirit and there's this little splash that came over to this dumb little kid who God knew the story. God knew what was going to happen. And in his mercy he was like, watch, and he let a little splash over to this and so now I'm having to learn about something that had already happened to me. In this moment of, of church that was taking place where we were trying to care for this guy and love him, the life of Jesus showed up. And I didn't even know it until years later. And then you continue on, and he talks about speaking in new tongues. And, and, and then, you know, I was with my wife and my one-year-old daughter, and we just totally we're diving into all that the Lord had for us and we felt like he wanted us to go to Belize to this village that we knew about and just love on these people to go and give body and blood and to and to wash their feet and so we were there and we're, we're doing it as best we can again not really sure what what we're supposed to do um, and one morning it was it was early and I hear this guy yelling from the little dirt road that was next to our house he's like hey uh, Pastor David <laughs> and uh, I was like I looked up and I was, it was just, just getting light. And he's like, you're needed in the other part of the village. So I got dressed and I went down there and he had a bike for me. So we rode our bike to the other side of the village. And 
Um, I walk upstairs, and I'm like, you know, still just kind of like trying to get my eyes to stay open. Um, and I go up, and there's a, there's a guy, an older guy, who's reading scriptures about demon possession and, and those type of verses. And there's a, a, a lady and her daughter sitting on the couch over here, and they're crying, look like they've been through a lot. And I just sit there and watch this happen. And then he prayed for them. And then we walk downstairs. He's like, come on. And so we were walking downstairs. And then he looks at me and he goes, do you have any experience in this type of thing? I was like, like getting up early? No, I don't, honestly. I don't. You can see on my face. And I, no, I don't have a lot of experience in this. Um, but I knew what he, what he was referring to. And I just kind of smiled and was like, I don't know. Um, and we walk over and there was a, a young man, probably about 21, and he was with two friends who were sitting on the ground. He was sitting in a chair, and he was just writhing up and down like this and kind of making some moans. And uh, we walked over there, and obviously he was looking to me to, to do something, and I didn't know exactly what to do. Um, but, I mean, I, I knew some Bible verses, and, and so I, I, I actually I grabbed onto his hand. I knew his name, so I said, I said to his name, he said, I said, you know, I'm here and I, I want to try and help. And I grabbed his hand, and I was nervous because in the Bible sometimes, like, you know, demon-possessed people are strong. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> and then he started squeezing. I was like, <laughs> but it, it didn't end up being that strong. It was strong, but it was just normal strong. Um, and I just kind of got right next to his ear, and, and all I could think to do is I said, you got to call on the name of Jesus. you got to call on the name of Jesus. Jesus is the only one who has authority. Jesus is the only one that can save. You've got to call on the name of Jesus. And, and he, you know, at first was just kind of writhing, so I was just going up and down with him a little bit. And then, and then at one point it seemed like he was trying to speak, but he was choking up a whole bunch. And so I just, we just kept trying, kept trying. And it was probably about eight minutes, ten minutes maybe of, of just kind of repeating this. And he did at some point he started saying, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. And at some point then he just went limp. And, and again, don't know what to do at this moment, but he's limp and his eyes are closed, and I just had this thought, ask him what he sees. And so I, I said, what do you see? And he said, one of them left. And I was like, oh, no. What do you mean one of them left? And, I, and at this point, it's not, I just said, well, how many are there? And he said, there's one more. And I was like, okay, you know, that's not too bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to think. And, I, and so I said, all right, well, let, let's, let's call on the name of Jesus. And as soon as he tried to call on the name of Jesus, he started writhing again. We kind of went through the whole process again. And then, and then he went limp again. And I, I said, what did I say? What do you see? It worked last time. What do you see? And this time, and I'm not joking you, I'm not trying to make this sound better. It's, he said, a man in white told me to go to the church. And I don't know anything about the man in the white, but I was like, we're going with him. We're going with him. He's talking about church. He's in white. Sounds all right. Let's do it. And so we got him up, and we walked him down to the church. And right as we were about to get him into the church, we, we were like, this is cool. I mean, in some ways, I'm like, this is amazing. And then we got to the church, and we started trying to get him into the church. And he, always, he just started like, you know, ugh, like screaming and kind of pulling back. And I don't know if this is spiritual or not, but both of us lowered our shoulders and just smashed him into the church. And, uh, but he was in the church now, and he was, and he was okay. Um, so I don't know if that's part of what the Bible teaches, but it just felt right in the moment. And uh, so then he was in there, and there's more story to tell 
about things that the Lord spoke to him. And we, he, we actually went to town. We came back, and he was in a different place. He had left the church, and he, it was all happening again. They had garlic and crosses all over him, and I kind of had to get that off of him. And, um, and we kind of went through, but it, there's more to it. But I, I'm offering to you that, that, that for this guy, that was a significant moment where he, he experienced some freedom from something that was freaking him out. But for this guy... It was also significant. It was like the life of Jesus was showing up. And here in another moment, where either Jesus was or wasn't, Jesus was. And I could tell you more stories about healings and about how the Lord has shown up and those things. We were kind of out of time, but um, we're going to keep sharing these things. And if you want to hear more stories, talk to Kurt, talk to me. Um, if that's something you would like to hear more about, if you have stories to tell, share those stories in your life groups and other moments if you can. Because basically, the life of Jesus is the fuel that we run on. And if Jesus stops showing up, we really don't have anything. We just have a social club. But Jesus is showing up. He's showing up Sundays. He's showing up outside of this place. And that's the call. That's the hope. That's the prayer that we have. Let's close in some prayer. If you'll bow your heads and just take a moment to... Allow Jesus' spirit to speak to your heart, to quiet your heart. Jesus, we're hungry for your life to show up. We know you rose from the dead. I pray for those that haven't ever experienced your life connecting with their life. I pray that today, Lord, they would ask and you would answer. And they would become part of your family and experience your great salvation. We thank you that you pour out your spirit, Lord. us anew and this week as we're going through our lives I pray that you would awaken us to moments where you're wanting to impart some special gift and we would be obedient and courageous and faithful and leave the rest in your hands